Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with actress, author, and speaker, Claudia Christian. Thanks for coming on the show, Claudia. It is absolutely my pleasure, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited for you to be here with me today. And you've had an incredible career in acting. And you're probably known best for your starring role in Babylon 5. But today, I'd really like to hear more about your story of recovery. So where would you say that your relationship with alcohol actually started? I I really wasn't. um, I was such a hardworking kid. uh, And I really had my my main um, focus was to get out of the house and up to Hollywood and, and get on TV. So I really wasn't much of a partier as a teenager or in my 20s, I was extremely focused on work. Um, you know, it was a normal, it was the 80s, man. There was drink and Coke and stuff like that. And I dabbled in, in a bit of everything, but I was, uh, I, I didn't have any issues. And then, okay. um, you know, we, we used cocaine for weight loss in the 80s, <laughs> frankly. Mm-hmm. It was right. kind of a partying thing and it was a, a thing that girls did together to stay skinny. and. Uh, very unhealthy use of any substance, but um, once again, it wasn't overtaking my life. Um, when I got older, probably in my 30s, I lived with a string of boyfriends that were heavy drinkers, and it probably started to adversely affect my life in, I would say, my late 30s. I People started to notice and mention things and say comments of, wow, you drink quickly or you mm. drink a lot. There's lots of bottles in the recycling. I, I was collecting wines. I thought it was sophisticated, you know, but I was, I was definitely drinking and you could see it in me. I look at pictures, uh, you know, of course, everything's online and you can tell the difference when I was drinking. My face was more, you know, puffy and I definitely had probably 10 pounds extra on me. Okay. And I had that, you know, that look, and of course, I, hindsight is always clearer. I didn't, I didn't see it. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm the same size, you know. Uh, but looking back now, I definitely see the signs of somebody who was misusing alcohol for mm. sure. Okay. Um, so I, I mean, that's not to say that alcohol didn't adversely affect my life previously, but it wasn't me engaging in that behavior. It was other outside forces. So alcohol was, you know, little negative things throughout my past. I was sexually abused by somebody who was using alcohol to probably have the courage to rape me. Mm. Um, my brother was killed by a drunk driver. Uh, you know, so so there was certainly incidents in my life that 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 created this, you know, alcohol's negative thing. But I didn't get caught up in the actual addiction part until I tried to go sober. Uh, okay. So when I when I 
decided that, you know, I was tired of people gossiping behind my back and, and making little comments. I decided, okay, that's it. I'll just quit. And I did quit. And I didn't realize at the time that causes what's known as the alcohol deprivation effect, otherwise known as white knuckling or craving um, that feeling of, of being now compulsive about alcohol. So I, I was in the honeymoon period for a while, you know, sober, you know, happy. And then the cravings hit. And I was struggling and I presumed, like I think everybody who gets into this revolving door, this nightmare, I presumed I was okay and I wasn't an alcoholic because I have six months of sobriety under my belt. So clearly I don't have a problem. <laughs> you know, that, that's what I call the lizard whispering in your ear, you know, constantly telling you, you're fine. You had six months sober. Clearly you're not an addict. Um, so that romanced me into the feeling uh, that I was fine to have one drink. And of course, as we know, this is not anyone's first rodeo here. <laughs> Seen the movie before, that one drink turned into three, which turned into me buying a bottle, which turned into me then opening my wine cellar and turned me from a heavy drinker into a binge drinker. So I literally went from somebody who was drinking three, four nights a week, you know, a bottle and a half of wine, two bottles of wine, into somebody who could not stop once they started. And that was that shift happened in my brain. I noticed that something was different because I suddenly became compulsive, which then leads to, of course, physical dependence and then withdrawal. And that's the vicious circle I, I, I suddenly found myself in was sobriety, relapse, sobriety, relapse. Um, from that point in my life, I tried everything um, 17 different AA meetings in two different countries. I was living in England, America, rehab facility, hypnotherapy, vitamin therapy, diet changes, psychotherapy, um, cognitive behavioral therapy, group therapy, yeah, um, wow. um, pretty much everything um, yeah, that yeah. you can name, I tried. I just kept relapsing. Um, I, would, I never got a year under my belt, funny enough. I, I, I would get anywhere from three months to 10 months. I think 11 months was my most. And then relapse and the relapses became progressively worse. And in 2009, I had a, a grand poobah, granddaddy relapse of all time, um, which resulted in me losing body function and motor skills. And I couldn't even dress myself. And I had to call a friend and say, you know, I'm really scared. I didn't know anything about tapering as an aside. I, I went cold turkey every time I, uh, I went through. Okay. So, so I was going through the, 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 the DTs and I should have just tapered on beer or something, but I didn't know any better. I just went cold turkey. So my friend picked me up and took me to um, a medical detox. And that's where my journey really began with a, a flyer. It mentioned something and led me down the path I I went. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And and I think we're going to talk about what that path is a, a little bit more because it's something uh, you're certainly passionate about. And and as we were discussing, it's uh, something that hasn't been talked about on the show at all. And as I think I mentioned, you know, I, I think it's important that we look at and on the show uh, we present different options. Yeah. And as I've said many times before, uh, you know, I, I'm a 12 step guy. That's what worked for me. Um, and when I was early on, I was like, you know, it's 12 step and that's the only way. And, you know, the truth is part of the reason I love doing this show is because I learn and I see, hey, you know what? There's other ways to do this uh, that work for other people. 
they've been able to, uh, you know, get sober their own way and they're happy and that's cool, you know, and I'm, I think that's awesome. And, and that's how uh, we should be looking at this here. So explain to us how you actually got sober. What, what was that path that you ended up taking? So um, I, I want to jump back to something you just said, and then Please. I'll answer your question. There's a, there's a very much a my way or the highway um, sort of, it's been indoctrinated in our, in our self. And you have to ask yourself this simple question. If anybody gives you flack for having a medication assisted treatment advocate on your show, if you have two morbidly obese siblings and one of them uses a lap band and loses 200 pounds and the other one does it with diet and exercise, do you care how they did it? Of course They're not, both yeah. alive, they're both healthy. Do we judge either sibling? Is one better or one worse? Or do we shame them because the one had surgery? You know, so that's the way I look at recovery is I don't care how you get better. I don't care if it's a grapefruit juice diet or a campersate or AA, just get better. And we're taking one more drunk driver off the road. We're taking, we're, we're putting one more, one less child at risk of an abusive parent. Let's just all get better. Yeah. So that's my attitude. Um, Thank you. Uh, so I found this, um, this flyer and it said it, it advertised Vivitrol when I was leaving the detox place. And I, I looked at Vivitrol and it didn't seem very attractive to me. It was very expensive. Um, it, it involved having a medication in your system 24 seven, but I was desperate, literally. Um, I called that, that detox facility about three times and they didn't pick up. And I was like, I I'll do anything if it'll stop cravings because that's what makes me relapse. So when they didn't return my calls, I started researching even more and I found out that the ingredient was naltrexone. Naltrexone has been FDA approved since 1994 and most, most doctors and addiction specialists um, do prescribe it for alcoholism, but they prescribe it with abstinence. As I was Googling it, um, this book popped up and I read a couple of pages from it and it was, you know, I thought it was hogwash. It was called The Cure for Alcoholism. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> take my money now. Um, <laughs> once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Yeah. There's no cure, you know, all that stuff. I was, I was indoctrinated as well. I was like, yeah, right. But I read it and I come from a family of scientists and researchers and doctors and surgeons. And um, it was phenomenal what, what little I could read for free online. So I ordered the book. I then called my GP and I booked an appointment and I went and I said, look, I really want this naltrexone. And my GP said, I'm not gonna give you an opiate. <laughs> I was like, dude, it's not an opiate, it's an opiate blocker, <laughs> you know, look it, look it up in your little medication book. Mm -hmm. But um, he wasn't willing to give me that, which was really unusual. It's an opiate antagonist. There's absolutely no possibility of misusing it. You don't, it does not promote a feeling of joy. No one's ever become addicted to naloxone, naltrexone, or nalmaphene. These are drugs that you use for overdose or for fibromyalgia or inflammation diseases, not something you can get addicted to. So that was my first experience with a doctor. Um, subsequently, back in, since it was 2009 and my nonprofit wasn't around and there was no really no resources at all, I ordered the, the medication online. I really didn't have a choice. I was desperate. And I got the medication in the book and I had had about three months of sobriety under my belt at that point and I tried it. And I was, when I tell you that I tried it, that sounds really flippant. 
I was scared out of my mind because I knew that this relapse, if this medication didn't work, I would die because I nearly stroked out the last time. So, I mean, I was drinking everything, vanilla extract. I mean, mouthwash. Mm -hmm. I, I was a crazy person. I mean, and I say that with, <laughs> in, the, in the nicest way possible. It was like an alien took my body over. I did not recognize myself. And I knew that that same monster would take me over if this medication didn't work a miracle. So I did take the medication and it worked for me. And I drank on it one hour after taking it, which is called targeted use of naltrexone or TSM or the Sinclair method based on an American researcher named Dr. John David Sinclair. and. Everything that I was afraid of, for instance, the compulsive thoughts, the obsessive thoughts, my social life, which at that point was nothing when I was not drinking because I was petrified to go out, petrified to be around alcohol, scared to be around my friends who drank. Everything just went away. And I stopped thinking about alcohol. It took about four months before I just realized, wow, a few days have gone by and I have not once thought about drinking. Wow. That, that to me was such, I wasn't thinking about having to be sober. I wasn't thinking that I couldn't walk down that aisle in the supermarket. I wasn't, my life was no longer dictated due to sobriety or, or binging. So either, either I was in the motions of drinking or I was actively still craving alcohol. So alcohol dictated my life whether I was sober or not before TSM. It was always it was always in the front of my brain. I was not a happy sober person mm -hmm. um, before TSM. I was a very miserable sober person. My whole life was dictated about where what I could do and what I couldn't do because of alcohol and okay. whether it was there or not. So I wasn't one of those happy people that could go to a party and watch everyone drink. I was judgy. I was bitchy. I would mm -hmm. sit there and say, "Oh yeah, have another glass." <laughs> you know, I was like an ex-smoker. I was really judgmental towards other people drinking. <laughs> I was, I was horrible. And I would leave parties at like seven o'clock. I'd sneak out the back. I would do everything to avoid human contact because it was such a, it was just upsetting me so much. Clearly, yeah. now. I couldn't care less. I was on TSM for nine years. Okay. And then um, I, about two and a half years ago, I just realized that alcohol didn't serve me anymore. Mm -hmm. It just didn't serve any purpose in my life. And I just, it just sort of naturally happened that I was on a holiday and I was driving a lot and I was sort of the designated driver and the planner. And I just thought, well, why drink at all? Wow. And wow. I just, that's, that was in 2018 and I okay. just had, but I say that and I say, look, I'm 55 years old. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying to the world that I'll never have a drink again. I'm just saying that I have absolutely no desire to have a drink and every, and I just choose not to drink. It just yeah. doesn't seem like it's bringing anything into my life. But if I wanted to drink five years from now or 10 years from now, I could, I could take a pill, wait an hour and have a drink. I just don't want to. Yeah, so let's let's lay out for the listeners, and I know I'm going to learn something here too, uh, yeah. because years ago I came across the book that you're talking about, and I was like, "The Cure," like let's, but I didn't know that there was any type of medication involved or or anything like that. Of course, I didn't actually open the book, so you know, <laughs> there's there's that part of it. Uh, but, but let's lay out 
for yeah. the listeners and, and for myself, exactly what the Sinclair method is. How, what is it? How does this work? How does it work in combination with the medication? So when a person drinks, they get a big reinforcement from alcohol. Someone whose neural pathways have been engorged, essentially. I had a four lane highway, like a big super highway of neural pathways. A normal person would have a little country lane because when they drink, they don't get a massive endorphin rush. They don't get this reinforcement, this reward as we call it. Mm -hmm. But alcoholics do because we keep, we, we've continued the behavior to the point where now we have the genetic predisposition, we've engaged in the behavior and now our neural pathways are super big. Hence our tolerance gets higher. We need more to achieve that same feeling that we get from the first drink and on and on. You'll hear a lot of alcoholics say things like, oh God, that feeling when it rushes to my brain. Well, normal people, most of them don't get that feeling. We do. So when an individual takes an opiate antagonist like naltrexone, and I'm only going to address naltrexone because that's what you get in the United States. Okay. So naltrexone is the opiate blocker, opiate antagonist. That's what it is, the property that it is. You take that medication an hour before you engage in the behavior you want to decrease or stop. And it works really well for gambling, but we're going to talk about drinking right now. Mm. So it's five o'clock. I'm starting to crave alcohol. I know it's, you know, cocktail hour. I've done my mindfulness. You know, can I distract myself? No. I'm still thinking of alcohol. It's a mental craving now, and it's kind of a physical craving. Okay, that's when I want to say, I'm going to take my naltrexone. I'm going to wait an hour. I'll go for a walk. I'll go online and research something. I'll kill time. Takes an hour for the medication to get into the bloodstream and the brain. Now I'm going to take some alcohol and I'm going to drink it. And the naltrexone now is going to block the endorphins that are released from the alcohol so that those endorphins do not bind to the opioid receptors mm -hmm. and they do not engorge those neuropathways again. So every time I'm doing this, much like Pavlov's dog stopped salivating once the bell was rung because he wasn't getting food anymore. Right. Every time I drink on an opiate blocker, my brain is saying to me, meh, like, What's the big deal? So I am unlearning the desire to drink more. I am now going to have an off button because my brain does not equate alcohol with this massive endorphin rush because it's not receiving it anymore. Mm -hmm. So here I, I'm, I'm literally creating an atmosphere of like, alcohol's not a big deal anymore. That glass of wine is not as attractive as the meal in front of me. I can listen to my friends and engage in conversation because I'm not trying to catch the waiter's eye because it's just not that important anymore. So it gives you this control, this off button and you become disinterested. That's the classic extinction. When we talk about pharmacological extinction, we talk about the point that takes you from the beginning of the Sinclair method to a point where you just don't care about okay. the drink that's sitting in front of you. Okay. you and a lot of people have marketed this, like in the UK, they said, you know, it's the anti-binge drinking pill or the anti-buzz or the buzz killer, yeah. buzz killer thing. And I, and I want to clarify this for individuals who are curious about this. And I really say, look, if AA is working for you or anything is working for you, don't stop. But if you're a chronic relapser like I was, mm -hmm. it, it's very, it, this is a good thing to look into. 
it's perfect for people who have tried everything else. Mm-hmm. Nothing's mm-hmm. working for them. I want to explain to you that it, it, it doesn't take away the social aspects, the relaxation effect, or the taste of alcohol. Not to mention the fact that you can absolutely still get buzzed. The point yeah. is, we hope that you learn that you don't want to get buzzed because mm. you're satisfied after one or two beers. That's okay. it. Okay. You have a glass of wine and you can say, I'm done. I don't want any more. So that's what we're trying to achieve with TSM. Now, along with that comes mindfulness, accountability, peer support, much like a 12-step program. We have meetings. There are thousands of people around the world that do TSM. So there's online meetings. There's drink logs that you're supposed to log your drinks every day. You have to be mindful. It's not just about popping a pill. Okay. Because there's other aspects to addiction. You know this. It's not just biological. But people who are sitting in that AA meeting, for instance, or sitting in their meeting with their therapist, and all they can think of is drinking, they're, they're, they're mentally obsessed with alcohol. I say, why not get rid of the biological aspects of addiction so that you can focus on your recovery without that, that committee in your head screaming at you, drink, 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 drink. That's, mm-hmm. that, that was my real issue is I couldn't work on myself or do the work, as they say, sure. because I was so obsessed with thinking about alcohol smelling alcohol, drinking alcohol, not being able to drink alcohol. So once that all went away, that noise went away, then I could do the inner work and understand why it got out of control and okay. what, what led to that and how to deal with childhood trauma. Mm, I see. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so what we're talking about here, and I'm going to ask you in just a, a moment to kind of uh, re-clarify your own personal timeline with this. But what we're really talking about is, is Matt, like you said, or medicated assistant treatment, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, again, great example of where, you know, I, like, I was just pretty judgmental about things like this early on in recovery, not realizing that I had gotten sober by way of medicated assistant treatment, because my drug of choice, if you will, uh, was painkillers. And so what helped me early on, and I didn't take it for an extended period or anything, but nevertheless was Suboxone, yeah, yeah. you know? And, and so here I would kind of judge people that were taking Suboxone for whatever length of time. And I think, like you said, at the end of the day, if there is if there is something that helps someone get from point A to point B, um, for me, on the verge of death, and it sounds like for you too, yeah. to a place to where, you know, describe it however you want, but, but this substance is essentially a, a non-issue and you can move on with your life and have a, a happy and successful life, whatever that looks like for you, um, then what's the problem? And, and so... Would you re-clarify that because I, I know I read and I know you just stated that there was a period of time where you continued to use the medication, you were still drinking. Give me the timeline. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. First, and first of all, let me clarify again that that Suboxone is a replacement drug. Naltrexone is not. It's a medication created to create extinction in the brain. There we go. Yeah. Total, total difference. Fair point. Um, methadone and Suboxone give you pleasure. Naltrexone is not. Yeah. Although um, I can say personally, no pleasure in Suboxone. No pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> no pleasure. Yeah. Well, not, you know, not a good time. <laughs> I, I have I have a relative who was a opi- had a, a opiate 
um, addiction and they used uh, bup to get mm. you know get off of it and then got addicted to that and mm-hmm. so I, I just want to clarify that naltrexone is not addictive good but, point thank you but um and i have a lot of people say you know whoa i can't believe you're taking well you're just replacing one drug for the next and i'm like okay that makes no sense does a diabetic not supposed to take insulin mm. you know or, or or people aren't supposed to take statins i mean this is a totally different story but that's just a lack of education sure. so for me I found the method in 2009. After about the four month mark, I noticed that um, I talk about it in my TEDx talk. I, I had this moment where I passed a billboard that used to trigger me to drink and my brain said, that's a billboard with a glass of wine on it. My brain did not say, wow, a glass of wine sounds great. And that was my aha moment that I realized, wow, I'm fixed. <laughs> I'm, 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 whatever happened to my brain, I'm back now, Claudia is back. And that was my moment when I realized I was quote unquote normal again. Mm. Um, I continued to drink uh, from 2009. I was on uh, TSM until 2018. Okay. I, don't, I do not take the medication anymore because I don't drink. Okay. So okay. you only take the medication if you drink. And TSM is a dual therapy. I know that you're very much into fitness and health. So this is an interesting thing that you might find fascinating is that as you're decreasing the, let's say, the bad behaviors, drinking, as you're decreasing drinking, you are increasing any activity that promotes and produces dopamine and endorphins in the system, such as working out, and you derive twice as much pleasure, at least, sometimes even more than that, from those activities, because the brain has been stifled in a way when you were taking the naltrexone. So for about 10 hours in your system, you've been blocking endorphins, specifically from alcohol, but other activities as well. Once that washes out of your system, and then you work out the next day, or have sex, or eat spicy food, or you know, go to the beach, be in nature, you feel amazing. So for me, I became really, really addicted to Pilates. <laughs> I don't want to use the word addicted, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, Pro- sure. I, I became prone to, and I truly loved Pilates because it felt amazing. And I didn't know I was doing the dual aspect of uh, ther- therapy of TSM. I just did this on my, on my days that I didn't drink and didn't take naltrexone. Unbeknownst to me, what I was doing was creating a really healthy vibrant dopamine system in my brain well, i was yeah. i was now leaning towards doing these good activities my i was craving these good activities and i didn't know why now that i know the science behind it it makes sense this is a dual therapy decrease drinking or gambling or both or online addictions increase hiking and biking and going to the beach and hanging out with friends and and doing things that stimulate you traveling cooking that kind of thing and Very you, interesting. And of course, in recovery, we need to add these things to our life because we have so much time on our hands now that we're not thinking about drinking, buying alcohol, yeah. preparing drinks, recovering from drinking. Now mm-hmm. suddenly we have all this time on our hands. So if you don't create a vibrant life and choose hobbies and 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 and, and you know re, re pick up old hobbies, I have some clients. It's amazing. Six months into TSM and they're like, yeah, I got my old high school band back together. And I've been, you know, <laughs> I've been singing for, I've been doing TikToks and, you know, I, oh, I, I'm fun. studying Spanish. And I'm like, now we're talking. We're, that's a rich life. You're not drinking anymore every single night. You're not passed out on the couch watching Netflix. This is, 
fabulous. And, and I always encourage people to create that before, you know, right when they start in recovery, don't wait for that time. You know, you got to fill up your life now. You know? Yeah, that, that's, that's a great point. And, and now just so I understand, because I know you said you're, you know, th this also incorporates mindfulness and, and there's other things going on and, and there is a community aspect to it, which again, for the listeners of the show, they know that every single time we've talked about a different method, if you will, of recovery or a different path of recovery, um, you know, there, there is typically that community aspect there. That's the one thing in common. And I think everyone can agree, like just the trying to, to trying to do it alone or just being alone. Like it's just not a, a healthy thing for, for anyone, whether you're in recovery or not. I, I did want to ask though, um, because I know you said you were logging this along the way. So you probably have a pretty good idea. Uh, were you over time tapering the amount of alcohol that you were drinking or did it kind of vary or did you even really think about it very much? Well, unfortunately, um, I'm the one that developed the drink logs. <laughs> I mean, I didn't make the apps, but, but okay. my, I have a nonprofit that I run with one other woman. Um, we're very small, very grassroots. It's just two of us and some volunteers. Um, we had a volunteer build these apps uh, it, when I launched my nonprofit in 2013. So we've only had the apps for maybe five years. Okay. Four years, maybe. Um, so when I started in 2009, there were no resources. There was no, there were no online meetings or, or Facebook wow. pages or anything. Um, hmm. There are now tons of Facebook pages. There's communities devoted to TSM. Lots of YouTube videos on it from young people, old people. Um, and as I said, the nightly eight meetings a week online um, from all over the world, different time zones. So you, you do have a community out there. But when I started, there was nothing. But what I, what I can say, which was profound, was I went from being a binge drinker to being a social drinker overnight, literally overnight. I mean, the first time I tried TSM, I couldn't finish the glass of wine. It took me a week to finish one bottle of red wine, which for me was like, there was never any wine left in a bottle in my house. I mean, it was like, you either drink the whole thing or you don't open it. Sure. Um, so that was pretty phenomenal. And then throughout the years, I, so I literally went from being a binge drinker with three months of sobriety to being a, a social drinker. I would plan it. You know, I wouldn't sit at home and pop a pill every night. I would say, okay, I'm going out with friends, I'll pop a pill and then I'll, I drank, but I didn't want to drink more than two or three drinks. Yes, there were occasions on like New Year's Eve where even though I took the medication, I would have maybe six glasses of champagne, which sounds excessive, but that's over a six hour period or five hour period. Prior to that, as a binge drinker, six glasses of champagne in six hours, that's not binge drinking at all. I would have had nine bottles. <laughs> so. Yeah. For me, relatively speaking, I went from being a binge drinker to being a normal drinker. So okay. even when I was in my 20s, and I think people can relate to this, before I became an addict, I had incidents in my 20s where maybe I would have one too many. You know, you don't drive, but you're hanging out at home, margaritas by the pool, you have, and you feel like crap the next day, but you don't drink the next day you know, you drink a bunch of water and you go for a walk and then you get over it or you have a big right. breath and you, but you have a hangover that's mm -hmm. excess drinking, but I wasn't an alcoholic back then. So, so I could relate to now being in TSM 
and maybe once a, every year or two having one incident where I'm like, oh, I shouldn't have had that last glass of wine. Okay. And, okay. But I didn't spiral into a binge. You understand? Yeah. yeah so for I get me, it. it was like, okay, I'm alive. I'm living a vibrant life. I my work is not affected. I I drink maybe two times a week. Um, I'm I'm normalized, and now that compared to someone who is literally going to die. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm I'm just gonna jump. <laughs> yeah, and I'm just gonna jump in here again because, uh, you know, look, I, I I get it. Different people have different thoughts, and really, I'm thinking back to the the old old way of of thinking of my thinking okay and there are going to be people listening to this thinking something similar like okay well that's not sober but i think you just said it it's you went from someone literally on the verge of death to now you found something that's working for you mm -hmm. you're able to get your life back on track and then here you are today not drinking and alcohol is not a priority in your life so you, you know i i again, like, I'm just going to throw that out to the people that are watching or listening to this. And they're like, uh, you know, I don't know. Now I do want to ask you this. Oh, well, well, I can yeah, say, please. That, uh, Jonathan, I can say that, uh, about 47% of people it, that, I, that almost half the people that I work with now do go sober on TSM and much wow. sooner than I did much sooner than I did. I was, I was, I was probably a, a stubborn late bloomer as far as that goes. The, okay. the most prolific videographers out there that are on TSM, I think one of them went sober within 11 months on TSM. Another guy went sober within three months on TSM and he's been sober for eight years. So, so don't use me as the example. Sure. Anybody out there who's saying that's not sobriety. Yeah, understand we're talking about classic harm reduction here. And if that harm reduction leads to sobriety, wonderful. If that harm reduction leads to somebody who only drinks at weddings for the rest of their life, isn't that an improvement? Mm, good point. Yeah, good point. What were you going to ask? I, I was going to ask you, you know, why you think that, because look, I'm, I'm pretty, I feel like I'm someone that's pretty knowledgeable on all this. And, and the Sinclair method is something that just doesn't, come up and and this medication isn't something that comes up regularly why do you think that using medication for recovery from alcohol isn't as widely used or or known about as it is for other drugs i um i think that there's a couple of things here first of all with with the six drugs that are used right now for aud um a couple of them are that's used alcohol use alcohol disorder. Use disorder. Yes. Okay. Yeah. We people in the science world and, and the doctors don't use alcoholism anymore because it's, it's not comprehensive enough. Um, somebody who's a binge drinker is different than somebody who's a habitual drinker, but the, that's still an alcohol use disorder. Uh, and during COVID, by the way, <laughs> it's exploded. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are people who were drinking maybe one glass and now we're drinking a bottle and a half, two bottles a night. Anyway, um, to answer your question, it's counter. So, so a couple of the medications that are used are used to keep people um, abstinent, either due to health reasons or by their choice. Like they say, look, I want to be abstinent, but I can't stand the cravings. So they can use medications to control cravings. Naltrexone does work for some people for cravings. It just is more effective used in a targeted manner to create extinction. That's just, I'm not making that up, that clinical studies prove that, the efficacy of that. 
but there are other medications that if you're struggling with, uh, with, with cravings and you don't want to drink at all, you can absolutely find a medication for that. The reason why it's not more well-known is twofold. You can't really monetize a generic drug. Naltrexone is generic. There's no, the patent has lapsed, it's generic. Um, there's no big Viagra campaign behind it. Alcoholism isn't really sexy anyway, it's shameful. Um, there's a lot of people who, who don't want to invest money in that. So when you say to a rehab facility, why don't you do TSM? Well, you'd have to drink in the facility. Um, there's actually a facility that's going to open this year, which will be the first Sinclair method inpatient facility, which will be interesting. Um, but for most rehab facilities, you have a 12-step program that is based on the 12-step program, but it's inpatient. So you have all, the, all of the structure of a 12-step program in a facility. Mm -hmm. Clearly, um, they could use medications for cravings for individuals. They could also give them a prescription for naltrexone when they leave and say, if you really think you're going to drink and you're going to be in a dodgy situation or around friends, pop a pill. Just use it like a condom as a prophylactic. Well, and so, so real quick, I was just going to say, and I, I wanted to ask you about this. You bring up a, a good point. So when I was in treatment, it was a, a, you know, 12 step based treatment, but there were people that were there that they were given a, and I don't know exactly what the, the brand was or what the specific medication was, but they, they were given this, you know, but it wasn't, it wasn't TSM. It was just, Without well, yeah. They do prescribe naltrexone with abstinence, and that is the most common way for a, a myriad of reasons. First of all, it's very counterintuitive to tell an alcoholic to drink alcohol, and doctors are not comfortable doing that at all. Right, right. So we work around that by saying, look, I want you to take this, if you have cravings, take it in the late afternoon, you know, because most people crave in the evening. Um, but if you really think that you're gonna relapse and you're gonna drink, make sure you take a pill an hour before you drink. That's okay. how I get doctors to feel comfortable. Now, here's the problem with taking it the way they prescribe it in rehab facilities. And I don't think they've thought this really through. Mm -hmm. The half-life is 10 hours, okay. Okay, 10 to 12 hours. Okay. And they're, the majority of people in these facilities are telling their clients to take it in the morning. So think about that. If you take an opiate blocker in the morning, you are blocking the endorphins from your breakfast, your coffee, sex, uh, your workout, lunch, you know, um, going to work, being with your friends, talking, everything. And then the pill wears off and evening strikes. Interesting. And that's usually when people crave, it's the cocktail hour. Interesting, so yeah. It makes no sense. And then I also have doctors that prescribe it before bed. And I'm thinking, what are you blocking at night? What, dreams? I mean, you know, seriously. So... I understand the concept, and by the way, I'm not negating the fact that taking it daily does help some people. There are a percentage of individuals who naltrexone literally saved their life. So I'm not negating that at all. And, and anyone out there who wants to try it for cravings, all I'm saying is please don't take it in the morning. Take it when you would likely crave, mm -hmm. you know, maybe in the late afternoon, early evening. And sense. after your workout, don't take it before your workout. You want to yeah. you want to enjoy life and dopamine and endorphins and you want to do all these great activities. Take it when you're winding down for the day if you want to use it for craving. Okay. Okay. Um, that, that's I'm not a doctor. I'm not giving medical advice, but I'm just saying it, just logically it makes a lot more sense to do it that way. Mm -hmm. okay. um, but to go back to your um, questions. We have been for 100 years told that abstinence is the only way. 
And as we know, the medical community is 10, 20, 30 years behind I mean, the FDA. The FDA approved this medication in 1994. And unfortunately, even though the clinical trials stated, you know, absolutely that the people who drank on it did better, the FDA wasn't comfortable labeling it that way. So doctors are simply following the FDA's instructions by saying, take this and for cravings every day and don't drink. Okay. This is not like antabuse. You cannot drink on antabuse, but antabuse does nothing to undo addiction in the brain. It, it, it does nothing. All it does is make you sick. And if that, if the punitive drug works for you, once again, wonderful. If, if, if taking antabuse every day and knowing that you can't drink because you could die or get sick helps you, then by all means do it. But if you want something different, um, naltrexone, um, that is that you know that, that this is the way that it's just utilized better and if your goal is sobriety you could take naltrexone and do tsm and still attend any meetings you want whether it's smart recovery or 12-step program aa states the only thing you need to attend a meeting is the desire to quit drinking if you happen sure. to be using a medication to stop drinking why be judged for that sure yeah. seriously what if the end goal is sobriety who cares? Mm -hmm. You know, I, yeah. I, I see nothing wrong with, with combining anything with a medication, whether it's yeah. a 12 step program or smart recovery or anything, moderation management. I don't care what you use. You know, if this helps you, great. And in the long term success rate for TSM with support is about 85% long term success wow. rate. Without support in clinical trials, it's 79%, 78, 79%. Yeah, that's incredible. It's that's a incredible. large, it's a large yeah. number of people. And and by the way, just for anybody out there listening, there is a very small subset of individuals who do not have the genetic predisposition to react to an opiate antagonist, specifically naltrexone. And those individuals will know very quickly if it works for them or not. Okay. okay. And and but it but in my 11 years that I've been doing this advocating and coaching people, I've met probably two people that did not respond to naltrexone. So it's a tiny, tiny subset of individuals okay. that don't respond. No, mm -hmm. I, and I appreciate you mentioning that. Uh, I'd like to switch gears here. So you've, you've written several books, actually. Um, but the one I wanted to ask you about is called Journeys, Inspirational Stories of Recovery from alcohol using a breakthrough scientific method. And obviously we're talking about the Sinclair method. Why did you decide to put this book together? Because, you know, when I started my journey, everyone said, don't come out as an alcoholic. It's going to ruin your career. And I was like, wow. I, if I can't talk about, if I don't talk about this, that helped me, that saved my life. If I don't talk about this, I am not doing humanity a service and, and it's I'm doing them a dis, disservice because what are we here for? We're here to help other people. Sure. I want to scream this from the rooftops. I was so excited that something worked for me. And there's alcohol, I mean, 100,000 people a, a year in the US, $250 billion it's costing us every single year from lost days of work and car accidents and, and, and insurance, everything. Uh, three and a half million people a year are dying of this. It's not going down, it's going up. And COVID has made it a million times worse. Yeah. So I wasn't talking about this back in 2009. I thought I was just going to be a really crappy person. So I did write a book and not a lot of people read it. So then I made a documentary and a lot of people have seen that. My TED talk, a lot of people have seen that. 
I kept thinking, you know what? I need, I need more, I need more inspirational stories, but I also need proof. I need testimonials from people because people, once they get better on TSM, they disappear. I'm the kind of coach that normally people like therapists have clients for 10 years. My clients disappear. They don't need me anymore. And it's, and it's, and it's sad in a way. And it's also, it's hard for me because I want to say, Hey, pay it forward, talk about it. But many people, once they're done with their drinking problem, they don't want to revisit it. It's too painful. They want to move on in their life. They don't want to declare themselves an alcoholic. They just want to say, I used to have a drinking problem. That's done. Thanks to TSM. I've moved on. Okay. And, and so I asked a lot of people that I've worked with to write their story up. And I thought, and I didn't want them to sugarcoat it. I want, I asked the people who chronically relapsed on TSM. I asked the non-compliance people. I asked the people who it didn't work for. I didn't want to make this just a magical book about, oh, I popped a pill and I got better. That's, that's BS. I didn't want that. I wanted people to tell the good, the bad, and the ugly, how they struggled with compliance, how they struggled with peer support, how they struggled with, with, with trauma that came up because now they're they don't have the deadening effect of alcohol so i asked a bunch of individuals to contribute to journeys Mm -hmm. and i compiled all the stories i had dr roy escapa who wrote the cure for alcoholism which i wish was titled how to put your alcoholism in remission (laughs) instead of cured because believe me you are in remission you're not cured because if you drink without naltrexone you will become an addict immediately so Anyone out there who doesn't think this is a lifetime commitment should rethink that. It, this is a lifetime commitment unless you stop drinking and go sober. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, you have to commit to this. This is just like a life-saving medication for a diabetic or a statin. Um, you just you have to learn that this is your life-saving medication. But anyway, I, I, I wanted to make that book for people who are on TSM or thinking about TSM and also for the loved ones of people who, are, um, who have a loved one who's suffering from, from alcohol misuse. Because a lot of times family members and friends and lovers, they lose hope. And I thought if you could read 50 stories from various individuals who tried this method, it might seem a lot more realistic than some actress on a TED talk. <laughs> so these are actual people <laughs> that, yeah. that, have, that have tried it and done it. And fair enough, yeah. In that regard also, there's there there are, big communities, as I've mentioned on Facebook, and, and, and there are communities of people out there. But as I said, when I started in 2009, there was nobody. There was one doctor in the United States that was willing to prescribe it to his clients that I knew about. And now the entire country is covered with TSM doctors. So wow. telemedicine and inpatient, um, in-office doctors that will support you doing the, the, the Sinclair method. And that took me and my associate, um, probably about seven years of going to addiction um, conferences and talking to doctors. And I would sit right across from the AA booth and they'd come over and say, what are you doing? You know, this is, this is bullshit, you know? And I, and, I, and I even talked to a few people in AA. I said, give me your relapsers. Just give yeah. me your relapsers. That's all I'm asking. Don't give me your sober people who are happy in their sobriety. Don't give me your long timers. Give me your relapsers, please. And let me show you how to do this. Yeah. Let me, let me, let, let's share this, this environment, this world of recovery together. Mm. And, and I had some really great conversations with a lot of people, but more important, um, I signed up doctors and, and we signed up so many doctors now, that now the whole USA is covered, all of Canada, all of Australia, most of the UK and Europe, 
all covered with TSM friendly doctors. So this is not some flash in the pan, you know, oh, uh, you know, Hollywood script, you know, stuff. This is a real science-based method that works for millions of people around the world. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, so that's what you wanted to do is document it. It sounded like you did a, a really good job. And I appreciate, well, a couple things. Like you said, number one, this is not just take a pill, cured, quick fix, it's, it's done type of thing, right? Number one. Um, but number two, I appreciate that, that in this book, like you're saying, you know, it's, it's honest accounts from a lot of different perspectives, you know, and it's because not everyone, you know, even though a lot of people may choose the same method or, or path of recovery, they're not going to have the same experience, you know, and it's just like, I, I hate, I hate, uh, you know, being someone that's, that's in a 12 step program. Like I hate hearing about like heads butting over, over helping people to get better. Right. Because it's like, wow, maybe, you know, maybe we could learn something from each other. But honestly, at the end of the, at the end of the day, if people are getting better, like who, who cares is, oh, is kind oh, of Jonathan, I've had death threats. Oh my gosh. That's literally death threats. Yeah. You know, you're killing people become making them drug addicts. And I'm like, First of all, people yeah. accusing me of making money off of naltrexone. I was like, dude, it's generic. <laughs> How would I? I don't work for the naltrexone producing company. There's billions. I wish I did. If Revia is listening to this and they want me to be their spokesperson, great. <laughs> I'd love to have some money go into my nonprofit. Please help me out here. You know, uh, but no, there's no money in it. So, yeah. um, so it's not exploitation, and it's it's just a matter of. Listen, if I. If I had to, if I had a weight problem and I found a way to lose weight that really worked for me, like so many people do, and they talk about it online, like this worked for me, the keto program or whatever, mm -hmm. we don't rag on them for, for sharing their success story. And, sure. and, I, and I think that when you look at the, the origins of this, of, of TSM, this was a scientist, an American scientist with no history of addiction. Nobody in his family was, was an addict. He was curious to go work with this strain of alcoholic rats in Finland that had been bred for generations and generations, and they had been bred alcoholic. So they were physically addicted, dependent on alcoholic, and they would press that lever in those little Skinner boxes all day long for alcohol. And he went in there and he said, you know, he just had this inkling, much like Pavlov's dog in reverse, if I could somehow undo the addiction in the brain by teaching the brain that the alcohol is not that attractive anymore. Mm -hmm. I could stop that endorphin release. Maybe that'll work. And that was the impetus for all of this research and his research. And he spent 30 years there. He ended up moving there wow. and he devoted his life to this. And in my opinion, he should have won the Nobel Peace Prize because he saved millions of lives. In Finland, it was the go-to method for alcoholism and wow. their alcohol rates plummeted. And the second they lost the financing when they joined the EU and they stopped really, you know, promoting the TSM, alcohol rates went up again, alcoholism. Wow. wow. So, you know, it, it, it is a remarkable story. And I think that it's, it's counterintuitive and people don't understand it and they're scared of it. And they just have to really sit down and listen to the science. And, and if, if, if somebody's really struggling, why not try mm -hmm. something else? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. You've mentioned uh, your nonprofit a few times here. So tell us a little bit about that. In 2013, I started the C3 Foundation, 
and I did that so that people could do TSM for free. I felt very, very ripped off by spending a lot of money on an ineffective rehab treatment. Treatment. Basically, it was a 12-step program with a fancy view. I mean, I, I could have gone to AA for free. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was quite angry about that. I didn't, uh, and I wasn't prepared to go out into the real world where there was really alcohol everywhere. They didn't prepare me. And I, I felt very ripped off. So I didn't want people to be charged anymore. And so I wanted them to have a place where they could have free peer support. They could um, get all of the information they needed for their doctor. They could find a provider. They could download a free drink log, all of that stuff. So we built the C3 Foundation website and it's improved over the years. It used to be a one page website. Now we have also paid resources. So you can buy books, you can buy coaching sessions and stuff, but the it, it, but you can do literally everything you need to do TSM is on that website and you don't need to spend any money. You could just do all the free stuff. You can join the meetings for free, the online meetings. You could join the Facebook pages that are moderated by real people. Um, Our Facebook pages, C3 foundations, supported pages. Um, So you can do and, and find, like I said, find a doctor that will support you. So you don't have to go to your own GP and be, you know, embarrassed and say, you know, oh, I've got a drinking problem. You can find somebody that'll say, terrific. You want to try it? Here's the naltrexone uh, prescription delivered to your pharmacy the same day. So, so I, that's what I wanted was my goal was to just say one stop shopping. You know, you, you go there and there's no shame. There's no judgment. It's all Sinclair method and you're free and, and you can even, you know, there's, cite the stuff for information for your, the loved ones to teach them. I also made my documentary, One Little Pill, which is such, mm-hmm. such an important tool. It's under an hour long. And if you're thinking about showing it to a loved one, like, gee, I'd really like to try this method. Will you please watch this movie with me? Then they understand the science behind it. They see real people in the documentary using the Sinclair method. There's even one guy who starts the medication on camera <laughs> for the first time, oh. real. Um, we shot that in India, Chicago, uh, England, all over the place with real wow. people. So that I made as an educational tool as well. I, I basically decided that, you know, I love acting. I love writing books, but my life now, this is my life. I'm devoted to helping people because I just see too many people falling through the cracks. I see too many people making fun of people going to rehab for nine times. It's not, listen, that is not normal. That's ineffective treatment. If you go to rehab nine times, something's not working. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, and it's, a, it, it's really, it's, I, I feel sorry for the parents who are mortgaging their homes to send their kids to rehab for the sixth time. You know, it's, when is this gonna stop? When are you gonna start incorporating science, medication assisted treatment for those people who are chronic relapsers? Yeah. Give them an opportunity. You know, the logo of my nonprofit is options save lives. And that, that is my, that's just my mantra. We have to have options. It's not, my way is not the perfect way for everybody. Your way is not the perfect way for everybody. We have to have a ton of options because we have a ton of alcoholics. So we need to treat everybody on an individual basis. Some people are primarily biological addicts. They need a medication. Other Mm -hmm. people have huge trauma. They can't just take a medication. They've got to deal with the trauma. So every person is different. You know, yeah. you don't treat every heart patient the same way. Sure. You don't sure. treat every diabetic the same way. <laughs> you, yeah. have to, you have to work with an individual on an individual yeah. basis. Very, very good point. And, and all the more reason why, in my mind, it should just be about 
coming together to to save more lives like you said i mean it, it's as simple as that now uh and you, you really have nothing going on you're just not very busy <laughs> you know i'm just kidding so are, are there any other projects in the work on you know on top of this on top of your your acting and and your speaking and everything else that you're doing these days <laughs> well i did i launched a coaching page during covid called your sinclair method.com and i have six coaches on there now from uh England and America. Oh, wow. I'm currently um, on a couple of Netflix series as a voice performer. Uh, I do a lot of um, anime and, and games and things like that. I know you're in Call of Duty. Uh, I'm in Call of Duty. <laughs> and, and, uh, Blood of Zeus on Netflix and Dota on Netflix, both, uh, wow. both, both great anime projects. I'm also in World of Warcraft, Skyrim. Um, uh, Guild Wars, Halo, Fallout, you name it, I'm in it. Um, I love doing games. But uh, as far as my other projects, um, addiction related, we're having our first, our second TSM conference in June, which is free to anybody if they want to learn about uh, the Sinclair Method from experts around the world. Um, they can uh, find out more information on um, this on the C3 Foundation website, but it's going to be an online couple of day conference with experts okay. on harm reduction, um, experts on TSM, experts on, for instance, like how do you take medications when you when you have uh, uh, um, weight loss surgery, like lap band surgery, mm -hmm. how do me medications metabolize? We have um, a couple of doctors, one from Switzerland, uh, doctors speaking on vitamin D therapy and, and brain um, supplements for addiction. I mean, we have, we have some great great subjects and it's all free. So anybody can that's curious about TSM or um, alcohol use disorder in general can tune in and uh, hear from a lot of really great doctors and specialists, addiction specialists. Wow. Um, what else are we doing? Uh, <laughs> I've launched the, the, the C3 uh, Foundation Crusaders campaign, which is trying to raise money for, for a C3. You join and you get uh, some meetings with me once we, once we reach a certain number of crusaders. Basically, um, and I am working with the individuals that are opening up that uh, first inpatient Sinclair method okay. rehab in North Carolina, yeah. advising them because I am sort of the, the face of TSM at this point. Yeah, yeah, I see that. I see <laughs> I'm, that. I, I'm hoping that I, I was hoping I could get somebody like Ben Affleck uh, or somebody on TSM, frankly, because they have a hell of a lot more star power than little old me does. But um, if I could get somebody that was really struggling, that's an A-lister and get them on the medication, that would, that would pave the way to some, um, some, some much bigger results. But we're toddling along. My little yeah. grassroots yeah. uh, nonprofit is, is toddling along and we've got lots of resources. So yeah, well, you're, you're clearly putting in the work. That's, that's for sure. And, and I appreciate that, you know, and I just wanted to ask before we wrap up here, if there's maybe one piece of advice that you'd like to share with the sober nation, whether it's, uh, you know, someone that's trying to get sober, uh, someone like you touched on that's been relapsing for a while. Um, if you'd have any would, advice you'd like to share with them. Yeah, I, I there's a couple things I've learned. You, well, you can never give up on, on yourself. That's the thing. If something doesn't try, uh, something doesn't work, you've got to try something else. You need to speak to your health professional and say, you know, and be honest. I think honesty is helps in so many ways. We all know that, you know, stopping lying and stopping 
um, hiding alcohol and all that stuff, it, it's all combined into self-forgiveness. And, and once you realize that this was not a choice that you made, you didn't choose to become an alcoholic, you didn't choose to become addicted to a substance, and you can forgive yourself and move on. And then I think you'd find a lot more clarity and freedom. And, and if something is holding you back from doing that inner work and really loving yourself, then let's address that. If a biological component of addiction is bothering you like cravings and or if you are relapsing constantly, I'm not saying naltrexone's the best drug for you, there, but there's other ones. You know, I, I, my most important message to everybody is don't ever give up and don't give up on a loved one and don't try to dictate their recovery. Just support them. Just be loving. I think if one person in my life would have said to me, you know what, Claudia, I know you're going through a rough time. I just want you to know I'm there for you. If anybody would have just said that to me, I think I would have broken down and cried and finally been able to say, you're right. I have, I have a problem. Instead, everyone's like, why can't you just stop? Why are you drinking so much? You look like hell. What are you doing to yourself? There was all this punitive, accusatory, judgy anger that was coming at me. And if, if anyone out there is listening and you have a loved one who's suffering, please don't do that to them. They already feel like hell. They already hate themselves. I mean, there's so much self-loathing that comes with addiction that I, you need to be loving. And if you don't know what to say, just say, you know what, buddy, I love you. I'm here if you need anything. Just say that and walk away, but please don't say anything mean. It can really trigger someone to drink or use even worse. It did me. Yeah. I mean, it, seriously, I just wanted to deaden the pain by drinking more when somebody would say something horrible to me, like you're throwing your career away or you, you have no discipline. You're weak. You know, I'd hear that. And I, what do I do? Yeah. Drink yeah. away the pain. Yeah. So my, my advice to you is be loving to yourself and be loving to others and just try and be supportive as you can and never give up on yourself. There's going to be an answer out there for you. Yeah, that's, that's incredible advice. I, I absolutely love that. So you can find all of Claudia's books, including Journeys on Amazon. You can learn more about the Sinclair Method and working with Claudia at yoursinclairmethod.com. And you can also contribute to her nonprofit C3 by visiting the link in the show notes. Thanks for coming on the show, Claudia. I really appreciate it. I so appreciate you having an open heart and, and listening to me about the Sinclair Method. I, I really appreciate that. I think that together we can all save more lives. Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And again, whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. Nation, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.